hope so. I got some good karma by being nice to that paraplegic spider in your bathroom. <laughs> oh, every time I, I want to go get him like a toothpick or something and make him a little wooden leg. God bless us, everyone. <laughs> and Tiny Tim, who did not die, as I said, going into the bathroom. Wow, what a miscommunication. Two different wavelengths we were on here. Yeah. I'm quoting the Muppets Christmas Carol, and Beth said, The singer? He's still alive? I thought it was weird that he was still alive. <laughs> he's that insidious demon. Of course I he's still alive. <laughs> Woo, buddy. Wow, did you see that new Insidious movie, Red no, Door? No, I need to see Here's it. Here's the thing. Patrick Wilson, America's horror dad, America's horror husband. Love him. Love him. Baby Paul Newman. Uh, he. This is like his directorial debut is this Red Door. Oh. And he was like, I'm going to make a new installment in Insidious, and it's going to be like terrifying. And then, oops, accidentally made a really heartwarming story about intergenerational trauma that you're all going to be emotionally wrecked by watching. Oh, okay. Patrick Wilson, how dare you? I watched that and Barbie on the same day and I was like, wow, two movies that made me cry that I would not have expected that from. Uh, yep. Yep. Uh, no, I have to see that. And I also, uh, I have, I have it checked out. I just haven't watched it yet. Um, the, the the Dracula movie about them on the the ship. It's cannot remember what it's called oh, right now. Oh, it's like the last voyage of something. Um, yes, got it. The I, Demeter. Yeah, yeah, it's streaming on something. I haven't watched that one yet. Um, I thought you were gonna say Renfield. <laughs> no, I need to watch that too. It's got my boy in it. It's wild. It's, um, it's everything you expect. It's gonna be. I also please put Nicholas Holden everything. I am excited. I am excited. I just don't have free time. <laughs> yeah, that's not one you can watch with the tater tot. No. So, uh, anyways, welcome back to the Lake Erie Library. I am Beth. And I'm Britta. And uh, today we are taking a trip to uh, Willoughby, Ohio. And we got a couple stories to share for you. They're on the spooky variety. And... Also sad. My, mine is sad. I don't know. Mine's also sad. So, sorry, uh, male co-worker, again. Very sad stories to tell you. But they're haunted sad stories. So, uh, Willoughby's, like, super haunted. I had no idea. I didn't know either. But also, it's nearby, like, Squire's Castle's near there. And yeah. that's considered a haunted location. But it's, like, kind of heartwarmingly haunted. Um just the guy that built the guy that built squire's castle supposedly haunts it which i mean if i built a whole castle and then like somebody was like and by somebody i mean my significant other was like i don't want to live here anymore it's a castle and then i died i would probably haunt it too because it'd be like i worked so hard on my castle listen if i have a castle in any way whether i built it inherited it or took it by force that is my castle in forever <laughs> in perpetuity that's Britta's castle I don't care if you're living in it it's my castle <laughs> and I'm gonna treat it the same way whether I'm living or dead I'm gonna roam the hallways moaning 
with like a lantern <laughs> or a candelabra in one of those long flowy feathery robes that look like my rich husband just died mysteriously this is leading up to either be a kate bush music video or just very gothic of you what was the what was the there was like an old not a kate bush one what's the one it's like a meatloaf one where he's like a like a monster it's, in the castle. i would do anything Is for that love one? yeah yeah <laughs> it's like something like that maybe i don't know sorry i got real excited there dear listeners that's just that was the song that my tater tot would get soothed to <laughs> the first six months no year year of his life yeah so. I just want to live. It's like that meme that's like maidens fleeing my castle in the middle of the night. Please, please leave your candle holder on the step by the front door. We're we're running low on them. <laughs> I'm beginning to think these maidens are only coming to my house to steal my soft robes and furs and candlesticks. It's like the maidens don't even care about me. They're just <laughs> coming here for things. But like, that's me. I want the things. That's fair. Yeah. So Willoughby has like an interesting uh, history to it. And uh, we picked this one because it is tis the season. Uh, When this is debuting, it's perfect time of year to think about this or (laughs) take a. (laughs) I just realized that mine inadvertently also ties into this season, but I didn't put it together until right now. So uh, my the story I will be discussing with you today is. Uh, it's a bit of a mystery, but also a ghost story, kind of, not a super ghost story, but it's a bit of a mystery, and it's called, uh, The Girl in Blue. So, The Girl in Blue, this is about a grave of a young woman. She actually didn't live in Willoughby. She was just visiting. That's just why they did not know the name of her, her identity. She died in Willoughby on December 24th, uh, 1933, and she had a marker called the girl in blue to denote her passing and her final resting place. And so for 60 years, we did not know the identity of the girl in blue and people would pay um, their respects to her at the graveyard and or cemetery. I don't know why I said graveyard. We're not graveyard sounds spookier it does sound spookier one of them is like when it's attached to a church yes i think graveyard is attached to a church okay and i think cemetery is not, not attached, attached to a, okay. a church i was gonna say can you imagine like everybody talks about like what would your ghost outfit be like what you would wear when you died and that's what you're stuck wearing but like can you imagine only being known for like like what if that was your day that you're like i just gotta run out and i have to go and like pay this one bill that has to be paid in person because it's the holdout that can't pay online and then it's like the girl in juicy couture sweatpants (laughs) forever or today as i'm repping my spooky lake month uh hat and shirt the spooky lake month corpse I would just laugh because I'd be like, as I as I said, I said today I feel like a high school student in the middle of their tech week wearing like all black sweats. Yeah, for everyone at home, Beth is wearing a long sleeved black t shirt with a short sleeved black t shirt over the top with SLM on the front and a very uh slimy, oozy, wet looking font on the back. (laughs) 
it has a quote from the spooky lake month content that she has told you about before if you don't remember this shame on you <laughs> <coughs> uh and and then her hat is a black beanie or i guess toque if you're canadian i don't know if there's any of you out there with the same slm on the front of it and she's wearing gray sweats so she literally looks like she's about to go move the like staircase so bell and beast can dance in a high school production of beauty and the beast that's right that's right we're both uh former drama club uh kids so we are well acquainted with tech week where thought i got away from it as an adult but i didn't take the spike tape off the stage but you can never take the spike tape off your heart that's right so anyways uh going back to the girl in blue so picture this you have willoughby ohio picture this picture this it's a pretty small, it's not a huge city, and, you know, it's Christmas Eve, 1933. It's a cold, blustery night, and, you know, not a typical night that you're going to be wandering around town. Um, most people are at home with their families, but there is one person who is not, and they are wandering the streets, and it's a young woman who is wearing bright blue. She has a blue dress, a coat, a hat, a scarf, and a purse that are all very bright blue walking around around town and then she goes to the train tracks and she is hit by the new york central passenger train upon you know getting hit they inspect her and they realize she died like instantaneously so it was a very quick death thank goodness um she also had no markings on her they said for for being someone who was struck by the train they had no she had no visible injuries um that's kind of wild that is pretty wild it reminds me a lot of different seasons where he does he doesn't look very dead yeah the only thing is like were her shoes still on her shoes were still on because that kid got knocked out of his shoes uh but upon trying to identify her because she obviously was not somebody that like was from willoughby she had 90 cents in her purse and a ticket to Corey, pennsylvania so this woman had no identifiers at all and they decided to honor her and uh she was described as being very beautiful she had high cheekbones and reddish blonde hair um it was tired in a flowered silk scarf around her neck which matched her blue woolen dress and blue shoes so she was very stylish 1933 like everything matched to a t as i said she was just visiting the only thing they did know about her was that prior to wandering on christmas eve she was taken to a boarding house so she was staying at a boarding house they did get some kind of like investigation going so on the morning of christmas eve she met the landlady of the boarding house and asked her for directions to the nearest church apparently they didn't ask her for like money or anything like that they just noticed her wandering and was like do you need a place to stay let her stay there didn't ask for like what's your name dearie um nothing like that which is a little odd to me but i don't it it was the different time yeah i guess nowadays if we just saw like a a rando wandering we'd be like oh my god something insidious why are you here are you here to case people are you gonna rob us right what's going on but back then they're like what is this girl doing by herself right on christmas eve so uh 
the landlady gave her directions to uh, the churchyard and then the girl walked in the opposite direction and she didn't stop her. So she... <laughs> Excuse me, which way is the Aldi's? <laughs> Fuck Aldi's. <laughs> like, okay. So she, as I said, she went the opposite direction. She approached a grove of maple trees and turned and walked down a dirt footpath towards a lonely set of railroad tracks. And she then went towards the railroad tracks. The train was coming. She saw it coming. And then, as I said, nobody knows because she was literally the only person on the train tracks why she kind of stepped out in front of the train. Do you think like, since it's like noted that she asked for directions one way and then went the opposite direction, do you think somebody was like, Hey, if you go like away from the graveyard, you'll get to the train tracks and then you can hop the train and go somewhere that you didn't buy a ticket for. I don't know. That's a good question. It's probably something people have asked themselves. Like, was it an accident? Was it purposeful? They they don't know. Uh, what year was this again? 1933. Okay. Now, they did say that she... So, they did go back and search her room. Her room had nothing in it. Again, all she had in her purse was 90 cents and a railroad ticket to Cory, Pennsylvania. So, her body was then taken to former... Uh, Jim McMahon funeral home where residents and constables worked around the clock trying to identify her. Um, despite, as I said, despite her collision with the train, she had no visible trauma injuries and nobody kind of came after her. Her body was laid out for two weeks. She had 3,000 residents visit and pay respects to her Aww. and see if they could vis- uh, identify her. She Despite that many visitors, she only had 25 people actually show up to her funeral. Um, so sad. It's really sad. The Willoughby residents raised $60, $60 for a headstone. I'm like, oh, I know back then that was a lot of money. But now I'm like, wow, $60 for a headstone? What a bargain. Yeah. And she was laid to rest at Willoughby Cemetery in a plot donated by a resident her headstone says girl in blue killed by train December 24th, 1933 unknown, but not forgotten. And an additional $15 was placed in the city fund to ensure that geraniums would be placed on the grave once a year. So this is all like kind of nice. Of course, there are some legends like people would go and visit. They leave tokens of appreciation like coins and flowers, etc., etc. Um, some people tried to say the cemetery is haunted by the girl in blue, kind of your usual fodder for cemeteries and whatnot. But the fact remains is that, you know, for 60 years, this girl's identity remained unknown. Like nobody came after her. Nobody ever like tried to really find it. Like whatever they did find kind of led to a dead end. So they didn't they weren't able to identify this woman for 60 years. That just makes me feel even more like she was just trying to like get away from somewhere. Cause like if you don't have family, who's going to come looking for you? Like you didn't have anything tying you to somewhere anyway. Well, I'll, I'll get to that. So there's more, more to this news accounts of the girl in blue was printed in newspapers across the country. And Willoughby of city officials were bombarded with letters from parents of missing children. 
which is also really sad. Yeah. And it's, you know, 1933. So it's not like today where you can like, you know, when you see like the missing pictures and stuff like that, which I don't know why, but Walmart in my mind and like Sam's Club, because, you know, they're owned by the same people. I always think like a vivid childhood grocery store memory is like I'd be waiting. My mom would always be like, all right, we have a lot of groceries. You're old and enough and mature enough go sit on like the bench where i can see you and the the bench they have across from like the cashier things were always with the posters of like missing children yeah and i would like stare at them being like have i seen your face before would i know your face i would i always was like i'm gonna find somebody i'm gonna crack this missing person's case i'm like beth what I like God bless a child's memory too because now I get like an amber alert on my phone and within seconds I'm like Jesus Christ what what does that car look like what is it is a Chevy Corolla a sedan what kind of car oh my god I forgot what color it was like I'm of no help in this situation right I would be like staring at their faces and being like okay okay Amy got it I know what you look like got it and then they would do like the CGI rendering of like this. They might look like this as an age progression. They didn't have that back in 1933. No. Like that's not something that they would have been e- like so much harder to do. So, you know, thank goodness these parents were trying, but it led to kind of no end. 1938, the late Hank Heverly, who was sexton at the, the Willoughby Cemetery for more than 25 years, said a young man driving a new Dodge car pulled into the cemetery and approached him and the man told heaven heverly he wanted to see his sister's grave he looked just like her uh heverly told the news herald in 1966 he fitted her to a t uh the young man looked at the photograph taken of the girl in the morgue and said it's her and as they walked by the grave the man explained that he and his 22 year old sister sophie left their parents home in Corey, pennsylvania during the early years of the depression to find work in Detroit. Frustrated not being able to find a job, the man said he scraped up enough money for train fare for Sophie to return home. He said their parents died in 1934. A man gave Heverly $2 and asked him to buy some flowers to put on his sister's grave, and then he drove off. Um, <laughs> so somebody did come to visit her and gave a little bit of backstory, but they didn't give any more information. <laughs> Yeah, so I guess she was just, like, on her way home. Yes, uh, is is what they were trying to explain. But this guy, for someone who was like, yeah, that's my sister, he didn't like, can I collect her remains? Can I do this? Can I do that? Like, Well, that also costs money to, like, move a body. Money. Yes. So, but, you know, you just drove away. Like, I guess you got your information, but nobody, like, she's not actually yeah. put to rest. <laughs> was really sad it's sad and of course like my stupid brain is already concocting like this other like ridiculous story of like he sent her home because they couldn't afford it but she was in love with someone and it was forbidden and she didn't want to go home and so she just threw herself in front of the train (laughs) uh unfortunately like there is stuff to this story that we're not going to ever find out like why she died is kind of an enduring mystery but so most historians agreed that this girl was named sophie they did get kind of a first name in passing but they're like we don't know if that's her official name or not or and they didn't know if that was her last name and they debated about it for 60 years but then 
Heverly said that her last name was either Klingspa or Klingspack. And then Gertrude McMahon, who was uh, the wife of the funeral director at the time, said that her last name was spelled uh, K-I-N-C-O-V. So Kinkov. K-I-N-C-O-V. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the police department, of course, listed various possibilities for last name. And then in 1993, so 60 years later, the mystery was finally solved. So the News Herald, uh, which is the local newspaper in Willoughby, ran an article in December of 1993 marking the 60-year anniversary of the girl in blue's death. As I said, it's a bit of a local legend there. So the article also ran in the Cory Evening Journey Journal in Cory, Pennsylvania. Uh, the article was read by a Pennsylvanian real estate agent named Ed uh, Sekarak, who was involved in selling the former Klimsack family a farm on Spring Creek at the time. So Sekarak discovered through court records that the mystery girl was Josephine Klimsack. So he, so this guy essentially sees this news article and goes, that person is familiar, that family is familiar, and Hold on a minute. I wait. Where's Quarry, Pennsylvania? Is it closer to Philly or Pittsburgh? I, I gotta get the right dialect. Quarry, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Pennsylvania. Let's see. It is in northwestern Pennsylvania. So it's closer to Pittsburgh. Yeah. Wait a minute. I saw yins on the missing child posters <laughs> at the Walmart. So, um. This real estate agent, though, essentially cracks the, out of all people, like, it's not police, it's not historians, it's not local grave caretaker, it is a real estate agent. So, he discovered through local court records that the mystery girl was named Josephine uh, Klimsack. So, upon hearing that Sekarak could confirm the identity of the girl in blue, uh, Willoughby lawyer William Garglio came forward and asked that Lake County Probate Court Judge Fred v sulk officially recognized the true identity of the girl then in 1993 her identity was essentially made official and they bought her an additional tombstone to put her like official identity on there actually a local business actually offered to purchase the tomb so nobody had to like buy it or anything like that but then (laughs) uh, no money was ever collected so no additional tombstone was put on her grave you're like, oh, okay. So then in 2002, Christmas Eve of 2002, so you're looking at almost 10 years later, the, after the news article ran, uh, he learned that the courts in Pennsylvania had already identified her and they never said anything to Ohio. I'm not trying to say anything about Pittsburgh, but insert the like Larry David song right now um so they said that they you know both garglio and the willoughby mayor wanted to still see like josephine's official like they wanted an official headstone they wanted her identity to be official in ohio and so they said the story was going to be revisited in 2002 and the original stone remained untouched and that they said we're not going to remove that because it would spoil uh, some of the history behind it because she was a local legend and people from the city would come and visit her and pay respects to her. Also, we like tourist dollars. Yes. They eventually (laughs) 
this is so silly. They eventually decided to uh, thought about donating a tombstone, but they went back and forth and and then they're like, will they, won't they? And then finally, um, what made this happen was in September of 2002, a local photographer from Willoughby, Robert E. Rigsby, um, did a photo display of the girl in blue in like an art gallery. And they had a model pose uh, by her grave at the railroad tracks where she was killed and at the steps at, of a home on third street near the home that was once a boarding house where Josephine stayed. And the photographer said, I do pieces on a human emotion. What got me was that it was an unknown girl. And then rather than leaving her, the residents showed such concern and kindness. People seem to want a face to associate with the girl in blue. So he became familiar with the story because he grew up in downtown Willoughby across the street from the cemetery. So he presented that to the mayor along with a poem about the girl in blue and both are now hanging in City Hall. So when Rigsby and the model for the photos went to the grave to shoot the photos, they found somebody was burning a candle at the grave and were left flowers. Um, and the model apparently was a little uh, spooked by that. I think that's sweet, though. I think yeah. somebody was like being nice. There's still interest in the girl in blue. And I can definitely say that they said at least 10 people a year approaching uh, like approach this guy that works at the graveyard now asking for directions for her like to so it does get foot traffic every year and then apparently the story appeared on on unsolved mysteries and that renewed the interest of it um i will say since this article has been written which was updated updated july 21st uh they ha she has gotten a tombstone there so if you go to visit her grave today you can see josephine's both the girl in blue and then josephine's headstone the fact remains that they still don't know why she they don't know why she was in willoughby at the time was she looking for work? Was she running away from her family? Like, they don't really know. They don't know what happened with her in her final moments. Like, why was she by the train tracks to begin with? Why did she go the opposite direction on Christmas Eve? So it remains a bit of a local spooky legend. Like, people go to pay their respects. Some people say that she haunts the graveyard. Other people who are from the area are like, she doesn't haunt the graveyard, but it again, like Gore Orphanage, it makes for a very spooky local legend. I, I like, I don't want to make light of something terrible that happened to someone, <clears throat> but also like, this just makes me feel like, what if it was just like me and I'm just like really dumb about things sometimes <laughs> and like, there's a very simple explanation of like, she's just really bad at following directions and she's socially awkward, so she stopped listening after she asked which way <laughs> the no. graveyard was. And they said, oh, that way. And she was like, oh, no, I wasn't paying attention. And now it would be really weird if I asked them to repeat themselves. So I'm just going to go that way. <laughs> and then it just became this huge mystery. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, the unfortunate part is, like, the, you know, Tootsie Roll, the world may never know. I know. Um. So they did say that this other article that uh, was talking about it did say that she she was the daughter of Jacob and Catherine Klimczak, who were Polish immigrants who arrived in Pennsylvania in 1901. She had five sisters and three brothers. Through the documents that finalized the sale of the 100-acre farm, a signed affidavit was filed by her brother, Leo, in 1985, stating Josephine had died in Willoughby, Ohio, after a tragic accident and was buried as the girl in blue. 
it's just really wild to me that like Pennsylvania was like fine with it and was like, yep, chip chop, taken care of. We got this. And then like nobody told well, Willoughby. Well, never asked us. <laughs> nobody told Willoughby. And, um, you know, once once that was found out as i said like you can visit today and she did finally get another tombstone that verifies her identity um and she does have regularly fresh flowers placed on her grave so the fun the 15 dollar fund that the city provided still provides <laughs> fresh geranium which is so nice you can't even get like two fresh flowers for 15 dollars these days so Yes, that's my that's my sad story in Willoughby. So if that is something people are interested in, you can visit that today. It's free to visit the Girl in Blue's uh, gravestone, both her gravestone and Josephine's grave, the, the one in the same. I did not verify the thing on Unsolved Mysteries, but if you want to look into it more, you can. But there's just, as I said, there are some things we don't know. We don't know why she was there. We don't have really much more from her family we don't know why she left her family like there's a lot of things that are still a mystery with this legend what if she just was like exasperated with her life and she got off a train in willoughby she was like wow this downtown area is beautiful this is a picturesque city i just want to stay here i don't want to go anywhere else and so she decided to stay there forever. <laughs> how old was she? You know what? I don't know if they, it does not say how, the 22, I think, is the one thing I, I read, is like the, approximately 22. So this is when Rod Serling steps up and says, this is Sophie Klimsack, age 22, a woman dressed all in blue, wandering the streets of Willoughby. Who in just a moment will move into the Twilight Zone. The reason I'm bringing this up is because there is a Twilight Zone episode called A Stop at Willoughby. Oh. That is about Gart Williams, age 38, a man protected by a suit of armor all held together by one bolt. Just a moment ago, someone removed the bolt and Mr. Williams' protection fell away from him and left him a naked target. He's been cannonaded this afternoon by all the enemies of his life. His insecurity has shelled him. His sensitivity has straddled him with humiliation. His deep-rooted disquiet about his own worth has zeroed in on him, landed on target, and blown him apart. Mr. Gart Williams, ad agency exec, who in just a moment will move into the Twilight Zone in a desperate search for survival. <laughs> do 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 do. <laughs> So it is uh, episode 30 of the first season of The Twilight Zone. And Rod Serling said this is his favorite episode of that season. That's so funny. And it revolves around a man who essentially, as I said, gets on a train in New York City, falls asleep on the train. And it's like in the 20th century. He wakes up to find the train stopped at a 19th century like railway station mm -hmm. in a town called Willoughby and he learns that it's July 1888 and he like falls in love with this town and he has like dreams about how much he hates his regular life mm -hmm. and he goes back on the train and he returns to like New York City and then the next week he falls asleep on the train and wakes up in Willoughby again 
And like the same thing happens. Like every time he's like, the next time I go, like I'm just going to get off at Willoughby and I'm going to stay there. Life is so much better there. And then he has like a breakdown and he calls his wife who's just like, don't talk to me. I'm busy. And so he falls asleep on the train again, finds himself in Willoughby. And this time he just leaves his briefcase on the train, gets off and everyone greets him by name. And he like stays there. I, you know, maybe, maybe I, I can't I don't say, know. but I, don't know. I only hope that, you know, people continue to pay their respects because I Hopefully. think that's really nice. That is really nice. You know, what's not nice. Naughty children at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> and what do naughty children get at Christmas, Beth? Well, usually coal. If Will it be coal? <laughs> <laughs> Because that's what my story is about. Look at these segues today, folks. Yeah, we're on top of it. I'm at the bottom of half a bottle of wine. That's what's happening right now. Yuckity, yuck, yuck, yuck. So uh, I've never actually been to Willoughby Cole. I believe I've driven past it. Downtown Willoughby is really pretty. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've been there before. But I have been to Willoughby Brewing Company. I have not been there. And they have a delicious peanut butter porter. Okay. So Beth is not really a beer drinker. No. So this information is lost on her. But if you like a stout or a porter, um, go check it out. They also have delicious pretzels there, soft pretzels. But Willoughby Cole is, it's still like a fully operational hardware store and was a coal company. Unlike most haunted places, they don't really use they're haunting as a means of like drawing people there like they're just a hardware store that's really good because i can't tell you how many places recently that i've looked up where they're like especially like mansfield who's like hey we know we're haunted we're gonna bank on that yeah so before it was the willoughby coal building that they have today it was a series of other buildings on the same property so it was at one point a train depot a flour mill a cheese factory. I'm very interested about that. <laughs> um, numerous inns and lodges. At one time it was called the Zebra Stagecoach House because it had like striped paint on the outside. That's fun. Um, but the zebra was destroyed by a fire in 1879. Oh, okay. In 1893, the current building was built to be used as a flour mill. Um, And it's, like, essentially between two train lines, so that's really convenient location Mm -hmm. for offloading and onloading of product. And it it operated as a mill until essentially 1912 when it's, like, we don't use flour mills anymore. We have factories for that. So a coal company took over in 1912. It was the Gulf Kirby Coal Company. And it provided fuel to the city, CP&E, which is the local railroad and the nearby Andrew school for girls in the 1930s, Henry Windus and William Don Norris, they were employees of golf Kirby and they essentially teamed up and bought the business and then renamed it Willoughby coal and supply. And it kept that name for a really long time until somewhat recently when it changed the name to Willoughby coal and garden center, which is the current name. (laughs) Now I'm just thinking of like Petiti yes. Garden Center. Yes. Don't sue me, Mr. Petiti. <laughs> um, so that was in the nineteen thirties. 
And then they were pretty successful into the 1940s. And at the tail end of the 1940s, 1947, they decided they were going to remodel the third floor. Cause it's a, a three floor like brick building. It's got windows on all sides. It kind of looks to me like a big brick, almost barn type structure in the shape of it. Like it's boxy. It's I big. It's right by railroads. was picturing that. I was picturing in my head a factory very similar to like the episode of the Simpsons where Bart and Millhouse have the factory <laughs> that's like semi-abandoned. So I was like picturing like that, but like not with like rats in the coffee cups like in the Simpsons. <laughs> Let me bring up a picture to show you. This is what it looks like now. If you are from the area and you Google it and you know who Mike Polk is, he did a like a ghost investigation there. If you don't know who he is, please do yourself a favor and look on YouTube for his factory of sadness video about the Cleveland football team. Cause it's hysterical. Oh, it's, it's cute. Yeah. <laughs> it it's kind of barnyard. Like three, it's three stories. It's three floors. It's brick. It's got very symmetrical windows. It literally has a huge stencil painting of Willoughby Cole and supply company on the front of it. It's red brick. It's got a big round window in the front. That's important in a moment. They decided they were going to renovate that third floor. And Don, Don Norris, was like very into just like sort of being on top of things, managing things. He liked to be aware of like the progress of projects that were happening. So he would go every day and just sort of check in with how far along they were. He would take notes. He would like make recommendations if they were trying to make decisions on things. And on the morning of April 2nd, Don, who lived nearby, kissed his wife Maud goodbye and headed off for work at 7.10 in the morning. Okay. When the shop foreman arrived at Willoughby Cole at 7.40, he found a man's mangled body laying face down at the front entrance in a pool of blood. Oh, no. What happened in that half hour? The entire left side of his head was bashed in. His face was unrecognizable. His arms were outstretched and broken at the wrists. And if not for the fact that Don's car was parked nearby in its usual spot Mm -hmm. and he had his wallet in his pocket, they would not have been able to identify him. Holy guacamole. That's bad. That's very bad. So at first. Wait, was the window broken? Wait. Okay. So at first, authorities thought that he might have been robbed, but he had over $400 in company money on his person. Like his wallet was full of his cash. Mm -hmm. He had keys to his brand new car that were still in the ignition. His gold wristwatch was still on his wrist, stopped at 726. Oh, this is interesting. Okay, go on. And he had... Over $400 in company money. So this was not a robbery. So then they were like, well, maybe he climbed up the coal uploader on the side of the building to go up to the third floor and then crawled to the front of the building. And then quickly we're like, absolutely not. Because they're like, his injuries, he wouldn't have been able to crawl anywhere, let alone from the side of the building, like around it to the front. So they took his body to the local funeral home. Where the director found over a cup of coal dust in his clothing. So he was covered in coal dust. Mm -hmm. And so now the question becomes, 
how and why did he collect that much coal dust in essentially a half an hour? Yeah. They also found a small hole in his left boot. What? So his family was just shocked, obviously. Right. The community was like, what is going on? Like, this is so strange. So the police essentially came up with the following theory. Don arrived at work early, which was normal for him. Right. To check in with like the day's progress on the renovations. Right. He climbed up to the third floor rafters to examine the progress. Mm-hmm. That circular window, which was approximately three feet in diameter. Okay. And it's like very close to the roof. Mm-hmm. Um, it was open. There was no glass in there yet. Oh, okay. So they speculate that his foot got caught on a nail sticking up from the wood. And when he was trying to get his foot free, he lost his balance, fell forward through the open window, and then plummeted three stories to his death. They know he was alive while he was following because both of his wrists were broken. Like he was bracing like to was try bracing. to break his fall. Oh, man. So that is generally accepted as the cause of death for what happened. Mm-hmm. For people who don't know what the building is or understand basic physics, they're like, yeah, sounds good. All right, cool. But it doesn't tie up all the loose threads. Well, the coal dust is my Yeah, question. he would also, from where the scaffolding was inside, would have to essentially like dive through, like Superman dive through to get there from the rafters. So like tripping, he just would have fallen off the rafters onto the floor. He okay. wouldn't have fallen out the window. Okay. Nobody can explain the coal dust at all <laughs> it's just that seems like a, a lot of coal dust to collect yeah sadly nothing in their contract like provided for his family oh no. like they didn't have anything in there for like if if one of us dies like take care of our families mm-hmm. he was still relatively young at that point too so maybe he just hadn't thought that far right and and maybe also like he just if he did think about it he would have been like oh well you know like Henry will take care of my family if something happens to me. Obviously, that did not happen. Maude ended up having to take in borders and, like, laundry to make ends meet. So she lived a very rough life after this. Sad. And then we're going to jump forward a little bit. There is a local, like, ghost hunting group. There's actually a local author named Kathy Weber who has written a book about Willoughby and all of its haunted locations. She, along with another investigator, call themselves the Haunted Housewives. And That's fun. they lead a Willoughby ghost walk around all of these places. And mm-hmm. so one night in 2011, Kathy Weber was leading her normal tour. They came to Willoughby Cole. She starts telling her normal stories about what happens there, including the story of Don. And then uh, she gets to like his death. And this guy in the crowd raises his hand and says, excuse me, I have something to add to that story. What? (laughs) What? So she's like, okay, hit me. Like, what's going on? So he's like, I'm the grandson of Don Norris. And the cause of death wasn't an accident. His grandpa had been murdered. Oh. So now that grandma was dead, the family felt like it was okay to speak about what had really happened. And Mm -hmm. Kathy was like, oh, what? And so he knew like a lot of details about this case. So either he was a true family member or he had done like a lot of research into this. Okay. So according to the Norris family, Henry, 
Don's business partner. Right. Wanted the whole business. Okay. He'd try to buy Don out, but Don didn't want to sell. Okay. They did have a clause in their partnership that stated if one owner died, the other would retain full control of Willoughby Colon Supply. Ah, that's a good motive. So they believe that in s- when he couldn't get control of the company legally, he turned to murder. So as, as you do, obviously. So Henry like clearly knew that Don was like known for showing up early, and. According to this version of the story, on April 2nd, he was already there waiting for him with some hired help who jumped him when Don arrived at the store. They dragged him up to the third floor to the scaffolding and then threw him out the window. So this dragging would account for injuries to his face in the coal the dust. coal dust. And how he made it from the scaffolding out the window. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Of course, there is no way to prove this. So the case is closed and right. they're sticking with the original explanation. But Don apparently haunts Willoughby Cole. Okay. Probably not just because that's where he died, but like he cared about it. He right. invested right. a lot that of his life in this business. Right. Literally invested yeah. his life in this business. So... He's also not the only person who died there. I'm not surprised. <laughs> it's a coal factory. <laughs> um, in the early 1970s, a man died inside. Um, he's known by the name Zip. He's an older guy. He did have some problems with alcohol. The substance abuse led to his marriage ending. He got kicked out of his home. He had really no one family-wise. So the owners of Willoughby Coal... We're like, all right, like you can stay here at night. That way you have a place to stay. You'll be our like night security guard, essentially. Oh, he was kind of known for being sort of odd. He would mumble to himself a lot and he was very protective of the few belongings that he actually had. Mm -hmm. He lived inside the building for a long time. Um, he lived in like the back of the first floor. Okay. But one night while he was prepping a load of coal for delivery, he had a massive heart attack and he died. Oh, no. And the rumor is that he had hidden something in the walls. And a lot of people think that it is gold <laughs> hidden in the walls <laughs> because he went. He bought a car with two sacks of gold once. That's it. No money, like no credit. Wait, what do you, what do you mean two sacks of gold? He had two sacks of gold and he bought a car with it. So this is like not out of the the realm of possibility for Zip to have hidden coal, like gold in the walls of Willoughby Cole. Gold's like really light. How did... I, I have questions. Yeah, I don't know. So they, some people think that he hid gold in the walls. Some people think that it's a collection of antique guns. Some think that it's just regular money. But this has like sort of become a local legend. Mm-hmm. Um, what they do kind of agree on is that if he hid something, that's probably why he's still there guarding it. They have seen him on the first, second, and third floors over the last like 40 years. They, nobody's ever seen like a full body apparition. You get like 
quick glimpses, mm-hmm. like glimpses of him. Oh, kind of like the I saw something out of the yes. corner of my eye. A lot of times, like people hear his footsteps echoing, mm-hmm. and then like once you get to where you heard them, like they're gone. There have been investigations there where like they've asked, like, "Is that is that you?" And they saw like these lights sort of like zip up a corner. Mm-hmm. My question is, if this place is haunted by multiple people, like, do the ghosts know, like, so do I, they know that, like, there's more than one of them on the property? I have an interesting thing about that coming up. Oh, okay. So there is also a ghost dog here. Oh. There's Yukon, who is a chocolate lab, who Dan, one of the current owners, had since he was a puppy. Yukon um, would come to work with his owner a lot. He's super comfortable. And he just kind of was allowed to go wherever he wanted. He would go in and out. He'd just hang out in the like parking lot and stuff. And when he was older, he would still come to work with Dan. But at this point, he was kind of going deaf. He was mm-hmm. kind of going blind. This, of course, you know, if you're a dog and you can't see something and there's a right. new presence there, you're going to growl at it. You're going to be wary. So rather than running up and like happily greeting customers, he would start growling at them. Right. And then he would like sniff around and circle around their feet. And then he would just go back to his spot where he was. Mm -hmm. He was also known for he hated taking baths. So he often just smelled like a dirty old dog. And one winter day, Dan was ready to close up the shop. And he noticed that Yukon wasn't in his normal spot. Oh, no. So they started calling for him and looking for him. And when they went outside, they found paw prints in the snow leading to the railroad tracks. No. Yeah, so Yukon had been hit by a train. They found him laying next to the rails. They took him back to Willoughby Cole, and he passed away in his owner's arms outside the front door. So it's very sad. Dang, we didn't even trigger people for this. I know. So sorry, everybody. We'll put it in the we'll put it in the description of the episode. Back to back episodes. Does the dog die? Yeah. Yeah, I know. So. There is a ghost tour that does come here and tell you stories. So if you want to go and see if you can experience any of these sightings yourself, you can go take a haunted Willoughby tour. The act, the location is like so haunted that they they start out in the parking lot because it's not just the building. Like there have been sightings everywhere around there. Teresa Argy, who's one of the haunted housewives, she said that she was there in 2009 and this was like the first time she and Kathy did an investigation together, Kathy had already been doing the ghost tour in Mm -hmm. in downtown Willoughby. And she was already kind of well-known for being a storyteller and historian. And Teresa was teaching like ghost hunting workshops and seminars, which they also do. If you wanted to go take a workshop with them, I think they teach some of them at Willoughby Cole. And they decided to do this investigation together. And, they were like moving across the parking lot and as Teresa looked up at the window that Don fell out of which is not even a window anymore it's bricked up oh she looked up at that bricked up window Mm -hmm. and like felt very drawn to it Mm -hmm. and Kathy was like what's going on she's like I don't know I just like have this awful feeling all of a sudden and so Kathy's like okay like do you need do you like what do you want to do and she's like I'll just like give me a minute let me hang out and so Kathy went into the building 
and she went up to the main door with she carries like a candle at lantern which as a former ghost tour guide I also used to do that <laughs> and I got in trouble because I never cleaned my lantern and we had real candles on it and it was full of wax and I got really heavy and it started to fall apart and my boss didn't like that I did that <laughs> so every time Teresa would try to go up and like listen to Kathy's story she would get like nauseated and the group started to like go on again and she tried to follow them and she started shaking. She got really weak. She thought she was going to pass out. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I can't go in there. So Kathy finishes up her story. She comes back and she's like, can you like, just hang on a second, like take a breath, calm down. Like let's go across the street. And then the further that Teresa got away from Willoughby Cole, the better mm-hmm. she felt. So she thinks that that was like her picking up on the paranormal energy. She's been inside many times since, but that was the first time she was there. So she was super sensitive to it. So on like trips afterwards, she would go inside and she was always struck by like, there's just a bunch of random stuff inside. They have like a seven foot tall railroad crossing. As soon as you enter the store, <coughs> there's an old barber's chair in a corner. There's a vintage phone booth, a wooden wheelchair. There's like hand saws and a scythe like hanging from the ceiling. These things aren't dangerous or carry any sort of paranormal energy at all. There's uh, classic children's toys, old musical instruments, old ad like signs and posters, um, push pedal scooters. She's like, it's like a Bizarro World TGI Fridays. (laughs) Man, I miss TGI Fridays. Yeah. So they have two front windows and then there's like two on the side. But even with daylight, like it's really dark inside. That makes sense. It's a brick building. Yeah. So the first time Teresa actually went inside Willoughby Cole was like a, a couple weeks after that first time when she felt really sick. And she went inside and she started to feel like kind of overwhelmed again. But the thing that she noticed was that wherever she was in her peripheral vision, she would see like a shadow peeking around like Mm -hmm. a door. And then she'd turn to look and it would be gone. And then all of a sudden it would be like on another side of the room, like peeking out from behind shelves. Mm -hmm. And so she was like, um, Kathy, do you ever see like shadow figures here? (laughs) And Kathy's like, Uh uh-huh yeah why did you see something well i'm seeing some movement back there and kathy's like yeah i see them everywhere i think they're like they're checking us out they're kind of like feeling you out (laughs) so let's go in the stock room it's a good place for evps and that's what they did they went into like the stock room the storage room and did like an evp session um karen Teresa's daughter has had like some experiences there as well and she she had a lot to say on the internet about like the ghost hunting classes. She's like, even if you don't believe like they're fun, like if you don't believe in it, like just try it anyway. Um, but she was at a junior ghost hunting class there in 2012. Junior ghost hunting. Cl- I don't know uh-huh. why I'm picturing. She, well, like, she was like 11 at the time. Oh, I was going to say, I pick, I'm picturing like the kid from up, but in like <laughs> ghostbuster outfit. Yes. <laughs> but still with like the merit badge. Yeah. It's like a ghost guide. <laughs> So she said there were like a dozen kids there. Some parents stayed just in case somebody got scared and they were doing like a quick lesson on how to use the equipment. And then they got to go out into the building and investigate. And she says like all the kids were down on the first floor near the stock room. 
and her mom was leading an EVP session. And she said, are there any spirits here that would like to come out and say, hello, we've brought visitors today. And then Kathy said, these children have come to meet you. No one will hurt you. We just want to prove to them that you're here. And then Teresa said, if you're here, can you make a noise or move something? And right after she finished asking that, there was a huge boom and they could feel like the floor vibrate. Oh my gosh. And of course all the kids freaked out. Well, yes, that would be scary. (laughs) Even as a grown up, I'm like, nope, nope. And Teresa and Kathy ran over to where they heard the sound. They could see like dust coming up from the floor where something must have fallen off the shelves, but there was nothing there. So like they heard it, they felt it, they saw the dust displaced, Uh but there was nothing that had like clearly fallen and made that noise. That's too spooky for me. And they have this recorded. So they have like proof that they've heard it. To the right of the main entrance is the doorway that like separates the stock room from the showroom. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of like French doors, which we've talked about how creepy French doors are. They're so creepy. Yeah. So the stock room is where they like when they get merchandise that's it's delivered, it's received, it's stored in there. And then the loading dock is behind that, which is it's a raised platform. And then that drops five feet into a ground level pit filled with metal machines and stacks of like merchandise. The stock room's super dark and several people have reported seeing like when you see eyes reflecting light in the dark, Mm -hmm. they've seen that like peering out from that back room. Absolutely. No. Goodbye. Also, could you imagine just like not being a part of the ghost hunting thing but if you like worked there especially in northeast ohio or just the northern hemisphere when it's like dark at five o'clock you'd be be like so mad i'd be like absolutely not it's too spooky for me in here just trying to eat my campbell's microwavable soup it is my dinner break please stop sir (laughs) leave me alone (laughs) yeah so a uh, rookie Willoughby patrol officer stopped by Willoughby Cole on a winter evening to make sure everything was like locked up. It's like a, you know, like a, a normal, you're on my route. I'll do a yeah. little check. And he found the front door open. So Ooh. he went in because he thought maybe someone was breaking in. And on the first floor, he heard someone right behind him. But when he turned around, nope. nothing was there. Ooh. Nobody was there. And then he went up to the second floor. Same thing happens went up to the third floor same thing happened so he's like okay there's nobody in here but i am spooked and he took off like running out <laughs> it's like when you're a kid and you have to go to the basement for something and you're going up the Absolutely. stairs and you're booking it for your life you're yes. like the demons can't get me if i'm at the top of the stairs yep and you gotta do that turn at the last second yeah. just to make sure yeah yeah um a different officer doing another routine check saw strange shadows in one of the downstairs stairs windows so he like climbed up the front stoop and was like shining his flashlight inside but he couldn't find anything so he went all around the building shining inside and didn't see anyone so he went to the back by the loading docks and there's no window there so he was just like shining a light through the slats on the big bay door mm-hmm. and he put his face up to the little crack absolutely and not inside oh god and what he saw in his flashlight beam appeared to be two glowing eyes looking back at him and they were like right at head level so it wasn't like a <laughs> raccoon or anything um and so he also was like nope and took off (laughs) so he uh 
called the owner and was like, who's living inside the storeroom? And the owner's like, there's, there's nobody in there. <laughs> like, that's a ghost, my guy. We just a little haunted. It's okay. Yeah. So they, I found on YouTube, there is a recorded investigation by a group of uh, paranormal investigators called Ectovision Paranormal. Ooh, that's a cool, kudos to you guys for yeah. cool name. So I watched that and they, they had some experiences um, in that back storeroom they they one of the investigators was walking around and just sort of asking questions and there was like a really loud like pop and then you could hear like metal kind of clattering like something mm-hmm. popped off of something and then bounced but when they looked around they couldn't find any explanation for it and he was alone in the room and he called out to the investigator who was in the other room and was like was that you did you do that and the guy was like no what are you talking about so they heard some weird stuff down there. Um, Kathy was on this investigation as well, explaining that the French doors have opened as though they're like welcoming someone into the storage room, like <laughs> on investigations before. And she's like, you know, it's always somebody experiences something, and then the rest of the group's like, oh, can you ask them to do it again? I want to see it. And so she's like, look, like they're not trained ponies. I can't guarantee it's going to happen, but we can try. And so she like pulled the doors closed. She's like, I didn't latch them all the way, but they were like almost closed all the way. And we asked and like the doors swung open again. Oh my God. So there's that. There was like another time when Kathy was inside and she was doing an investigation with, she had like the owners. She's like, I had to coax them into doing this. And she went in and she was doing an investigation and somebody saw something like really large and brown rushing towards her. Oh, okay. And she thought she was going to be attacked. And she was like, okay, we'll just like, we don't want to like put that in anybody else's mind because their imaginations will start running wild. Right, and we right. don't want it to like, you know, sometimes you just kind of, convince yourself that you saw things (laughs) so the next group like goes in they didn't see anything and they're like but it smelled really bad like it just the back room smelled so bad like like wet dog a wet animal Hmm. and then the third group went in and she was like did anything happen and they're like no but our audio recorder picked up this weird sound and when they played it back it was growling and she was like what the heck is going on so she goes into the stock room they're like by the loading dock they're just like staying quiet they're not hearing anything they're not seeing anything they're not smelling anything and so she's like well let's try to do some evp work and so she asks is there anybody here with us are you trying to get our attention and then she felt something like brush over her feet and she didn't have a flashlight but she's like i was just imagining a 50 pound tarantula like attacking (laughs) me in the dark a 50 pound tarantula (laughs) and somebody turned on a flashlight and they like there was no squirrel there was no raccoon there was no rat there's like nothing Mm -hmm. and so they went outside and they're like all right we're done we're packing up for the night and the next day she went back to hand in the keys to the owners and she was like this is what we saw it was really weird 
And Dan started smiling and he's like, well, Kathy, like there's a few things I didn't tell you about this place. Like maybe I should tell you about Yukon. And so she's like, after that, it's like, oh, obviously, like the growling, the chasing, the Mm -hmm. wet dog smell, sniffing around my feet. Like this was clearly his dog who's still there. That makes me so sad. I know. Um, A psychic who was there who'd never heard the story of Yukon on her first visit was like, who owns the big chocolate lab? and saw him and she's like he's laying right there by the front door he's kind of dirty but he's not going anywhere he thinks he owns the place it's like the the psychic we had at the the library that said beth you're being haunted by a uh she's like have you ever had a dog that died i'm like ma'am i'm in my 20s of course i've had a dog that died uh and she's like no no this one was very and so uh talking to my grandma we think it was uh not my dog, but my dad's dog and my our English Springer Spaniel. And she's like, yeah, you have a dog following you around. I said, that makes me feel good, though. I don't, like, I'm not going to cry, but it makes me feel good. Like, got some good dog energy going on. Yeah. Rebecca Kirschbaum, who's a psychic, came and met up with Kathy to do an investigation there. And she also, like, picked up on Yukon. And Kathy's like, you're not the first one who picked up on him. That's Yukon. As they were going back into the storeroom, they started to get this feeling that they were being watched. And Rebecca, like, sort of stopped and had this, like, awkward smile on her face. Like, she was trying to comfort someone. And she was like, hey, like, don't be afraid. You don't have to hide from us. And so Kathy's like, okay, what's going on? She's like, there's an older man and a young boy in the ca- in the corner. They're really thin. They're wearing tattered clothes. They don't have shoes. And they're African-American. And so she asked, was this part of the Underground Railroad? Oh. And Kathy's like, I don't n- know of that, but that doesn't mean it wasn't. They just, you know, like they didn't really keep records of that kind of thing. But it's right by the railroad. It's right by water. Like this would be the perfect place for a safe house right and so rebecca tried to talk to the two spirits and she's like they're really scared of us they saw our lanterns they think like we're here to take them away and they're really scared of the dog oh no kathy's like yukon like they can see yukon he's from like a totally different right like a totally time period so like when you said like our ghosts aware of each other like at least these ones could see the dog ghost yeah and they kept trying to reassure them that like they weren't there to hurt them or anything and when they did an evp session they just all they heard was we're still scared oh no i know so rebecca tried to like assure them that they were okay but they like they didn't really feel like there was any resolution for them Mm -hmm. and so kathy feels like really like that's like a really like heartbreaking story for her that you know like there's just right. these two people stuck there forever like just forever scared right you know during that investigation on youtube they were like upstairs and they were doing one of the k2 meters which is where um there's like a series of lights that can be lit up mm-hmm. like going across and they think that they were making contact with um like three different men in there. They also had a medium with them. And so they think that it was probably Henry, who also went by Hank, Don, and Zip. Mm-hmm. 
And if the guys ask them questions, they like didn't really respond. But if the girl investigator or the medium who was a woman would ask them questions, they would respond like immediately. And they're like, oh, they just like the girls. Like they don't want to talk to the guys. They like the attention. But also one of the guys kept being like, can you do that again? Can you light it up again? Oh my God, look, it lit up again. Okay. If it's you, can you light it up twice? And the medium's like, all right, I'm uncomfortable. Like this is really degrading to like the entity like to the also, presence yeah here. also they're not show ponies again they're spirits that are just chilling yeah which like, then made me think of like <laughs> the spectrum of ghost hunting shows because you have like you have like ghost hunters where like nothing's ever haunted like they debunk everything mm-hmm. and then you have ghost adventures where everything's haunted and zach bagans gets possessed just thinking about it And then you have kindred spirits, which somehow falls in the middle. And I call it like social work for ghosts. Okay. Because it's Amy Bruni and Adam Barry who were both on Ghost Hunters at one time. And they actually, while on that show, they didn't like that essentially they would go in, do this investigation for like 24, 48 hours, stir up all this activity. And they'd be like, okay, bye. And like not help whoever was there. Right. So, um kindred spirits essentially they will go into a location they will do their investigation they will then go to like local historical societies and libraries and do their research to Mm -hmm. try to if they can't immediately debunk what they find try to determine who this may be that they're communicating with and why they're there and then they essentially are like like how can we help what is the why are you here okay like you're here because you were a like a five-year-old and you died and you don't know how to move on and you're drawn here because there's kids and a mom so do you do you want to move on do you want to stay here you right. want to stay here okay so with the family <laughs> here's how you all coexist together so this is almost like poltergeist except she's you're not exercising them completely exactly or they will be like okay you can't stay here anymore like you are a big jerkwad ghost you're being terrible to people you can stay but you have to play by the rules you have to get along with everyone you have to stop being a bully (laughs) or you gotta get out and then like they have chip coffee who will come on who we've talked about before Mm -hmm. and he is like a medium and he'll come in and sort of like try to help facilitate things as well. Or like if he can help, you know, guide them out of this place. But it's just so strange. Like this, this like spectrum of ghost hunting. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't know if you're interested in that sort of thing. Like I said, there is a, a haunted Willoughby ghost walk that you can go on. A lot of cities have things like that. I used to do one in Philadelphia and the company I worked for had them like all over the country. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say I when I was visiting New Orleans, we like definitely went on a ghost tour. Yeah. Uh, Excellent. It was an excellent tour, by the way. I also think even if you're not super into, as I call it, like the woo woo witch in the woods stuff, um, they're a good way to just like see a city and mm-hmm. learn some local history too. I mean, this isn't like haunted house. People are jumping out to scare you ghost walk. This is like 
hey, you're walking through a historic district. Let me tell you about this place and the stories attached to right. it. Right. If you take pictures at night, maybe you'll get like a weird speck on your camera. Maybe you won't. That's the other thing. On one of Kathy's ghost tours, this guy like sort of jokingly went up to the front door and was like, all right, Mr. Norris, time for your selfie. And like took a picture through like the window, I think, or maybe the front door. Mm-hmm. And a face showed up in it. <laughs> and it's like a like a damaged face oh no and she's like you like you can see like clearly like this flag that's hanging down in the corner so it's like not a doctored photo like you Mm -hmm. showed me right away and so like there is there are some things that have shown up and it didn't seem like it was just matrixing where like the human brain tries to find a face in something because that is a phenomenon that is but it was like they couldn't they couldn't debunk it as like, oh, it's a reflection of this or, oh, that's actually this thing that just kind of it's like the dirty clothes on your chair in your corner that look like a murderer in the middle of the night. It wasn't one of those Love situations. <laughs> so, yeah. So they they have had things show up on recordings. They've had things show up in photos. People have seen and experienced things firsthand. Uh, so you could like go do that and then go get a nice peanut butter stout afterwards. <laughs> It would be well deserved. And I a feel soft like. pretzel. Yeah. So yeah, that's our little our little dive into uh, the city of Willoughby. So um, if you're interested, go visit. If you're like that was a nice and sad way to kick off the holiday season, Beth. Thanks. Um, that's what we're here for, Lake Erie Library at our finest. <laughs> then I direct you to Willoughby Coal to get some coal for your stocking. You Grinch. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that wraps up today. Uh, as always, we are the Lake Erie Library. You can find us where podcasts are available. We are now on both Facebook and Instagram, and we are working on getting some other social media as well. We're Bet you can't wait to see us do those TikTok <laughs> trends. Oh, God. I'm not excited. <laughs> We're going to have to get like a like a Michael Myers and a Pennywise mask or something. <laughs> and a voice changer. Uh, I've seen a lot of variation of scream masks this past weekend. We could literally have different scream masks each time or like in a video. <laughs> Anyways, um, yeah, thank you for listening. Uh is the season i hope you guys are having an okay beginning of this and it's not too crazy not too uh intense yet hope your holiday shopping is going okay and if it's awful just know you're not alone because i hate this time of year too yes thank you again and as always uh stay spooky friends 